When I Open podcast may feature language, mature themes, and violence. This is your trigger warning. Hello, you are listening to When I Open, a true crime podcast where I talk about crimes ranging from urban legends to serial killers and how they are portrayed in the media. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Tate's Guide to the Perfect Crime. Hey everyone, welcome back to When I Open. I'm your host, Tate. And today, I can officially say that it is the start of spooky season, which means, which also means that Scary Tales is coming back. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to start it. Um, the first Friday. Um, I believe it's... No, not the first Friday. Usually, I do it on on every other Tuesday. So there will be about four, three episodes, I believe, is what I did last time, and that will be starting in October. So I'll make an announcement on my next episode and on my Instagram, which is at when I open dot podcast. So I also would like to say I am actually starting my first retail job at Spencer's. I'm very excited about um that starts actually when this episode comes out um most likely the night the the night this episode comes out so I'm very excited um and so today's case is going to be really heavy hitting um I'd actually to first make an announcement I made an announcement and I made posts about this on my Instagram um about the Gabby Patillo case and kind of like wouldn't I want to say it wouldn't be a true crime podcast if I didn't mention it but um if you don't know about the Gabby Batillo case I'm going to give like a short quick explanation um Gabby Batillo was a 22 year old youtuber blogger who went missing with her fiance Brian the last name I can't remember and unfortunately so Gabby disappeared on September 11th and unfortunately they found her body a just a few days ago I believe um, Brian's, Brian is still missing at this point, um, on September 23rd, and, but Gabby's body has unfortunately been recovered, and she has been ruled deceased, and I believe that her death is also ruled a homicide, but that is about as in-depth as I'm going to go. You may be wondering, well, it's actually, it's, it's a pretty big case in the media. Well, I want to talk about that part. So I have heard, like, I know another true crime podcast did a whole episode around that. And again, no shade to them. I'm not trying to call them out. But we also have to think about, well, why did this case go viral? And we have to look about, we have to talk about the fact that Gabby was white. And at this point, there are a lot more indigenous people, especially indigenous women, and, um, women of color who have gone missing under, like, around the same circumstances as Gabby, and because, sorry, I posted something from Feminist that I might actually post in this episode, um, on the, on the Instagram, um, about, it's a picture of this white woman saying she's missing, and a whole bunch of reporters are surrounding her, but if you look into the back of the picture, um, there's an indigenous woman 
who has, like, a bloody handprint around her mouth, um, which is, like, which means that the government has been silencing them to try to keep it under wraps, and the hearse also says she's missing, but nobody's near her. So, basically, the moral of that story was, I know that all of you would like me to cover Gabby's case, and I'm not trying to say that Gabby's case isn't important. Of course, of course, I feel extreme sympathy, and my heart... Sorry, my microphone just, like, flew out of my hands. My heart goes out to Gabby's family. But right now, I do not think that it is very appropriate for me to be covering. Especially the fact that the the police have told us, like, please don't, like, try to spread false information. The things that I said before are public knowledge. And I'm not going to assume anything. But I just wanted to make that very clear, just in case people didn't see it on my Instagram. But that was my quick anecdote. Um, and it also, um, just some other true crime news. Um, NCIS was back this week. It was amazing. You should totally check it out. Um, this is not an ad, although I would not be opposed to it. Um, but uh, CBS, uh, I believe, 8 o'clock Mondays. And then, um, then right after that is NCS Hawaii. I have not been able to watch it yet, but I'm also kind of, um, I believe I'm going to try to watch it tomorrow. But, um, yeah, I also heard raving reviews that it was really good and I have no doubt about it because it looked amazing. The trailers were perfectly shot. Um, and learn Law and Order SVU and Law and Order Organized Crime come back tonight, the 23rd. And I am super excited because I don't... So, the time that I'm recording this is, like, an about an hour before the show. Um, This is what I do to get my anxiety and stress out of my day that's been, like... That's been, like... You, you know when you have, like, a really stressful week and you just kind of, like, internalize it and you have to get it out some way? This, which is also why I like to record on Thursdays, because I just kind of get all of the week's stress and just put it into being passionate about talking to you guys about these cases and how they're represented in media, so I can kind of get these frustrations out. Anyway, so I don't know if any of y'all saw, saw the Rollisi video, sorry, the Rollins and Creasy video that they leaked on Twitter, but like, I'm excited. Also... If the episode doesn't end with, like, Liv figuring out that, um, that Rollins and Carisi are, like, together, I don't want season 23. Also, they did Cat Dirty. Um, I know this is a really long intro, and, like, you can skip if you want to, but y'all remember when I was talking about, like, the, the, um... LGBTQ representation in crime shows, and how I mentioned that I was so happy that Kat is an actual LGBTQ person who works in SVU because she's bisexual. Well, tonight is her final episode. Um, Jamie Dyer is, Jamie is amazing. I love her so much. She's done such a great job. Um, the person who plays Chief Garland, I do not remember his name, I'm sorry, but... He's also really amazing. They're both brilliant actors, but they were random, kind of randomly written out. It was out of their control. But I'm super, super, super excited for 
tonight to see. I kind of, I'm kind of curious because um, we saw from like the last episode that Garland's like possibly leaving, which I'm, I don't know. Next week, me is going to be telling this week me off, but um, I'm assuming he like leaves or something like that. Cat, I'm kind of afraid of. Because how they got rid of, um, not get rid of, that wasn't appropriate, um, how they had, like, uh, like, Alex leave, I think, yeah, Alex Cabot leave, was, you know, she kind of just disappeared into thin air, or she, like, faked her own death, um, but anyway, on to this case, so today I'm going to be talking about Ayla Castro, um, Major trigger warning for um, sexual assault, rape, kidnapping, tortured, torturing, and um, if you're triggered by any like pregnancy or anything like that, I know um, we're not we're not here to to trigger shame. Um, and I'm also going to be talking about the S. Lauren Order S. V. episode that this inspired because of course they had to cover this case. Um, it's really sad. Um, almost a trigger warning sad um but then we're going to talk about some other depictions including like a couple books and movies that this has been based off of and yeah without further ado let's get into the case okay so ariel castro was born on july 10th 1960 and he was born into a like very intense family um his parents were divorced when he his parents got divorced when he was a child and it was basically just him his mother and his three full siblings um he he had nine siblings both full and half and graduated from high school in 1979 he got into a lot of domestic violence and he, um, he pruned a lot of domestic violence on his girlfriend at the time. But then, in, um, I believe this, um, he kidnapped his victims by offering them a ride. He drove each to his house, lured them inside, took them to the basement, and restrained them. Um, at... 2207 Seymour Avenue, located in Cleveland's residential um, Tremont neighborhood. The house has since been demolished. So now I'm going to be going into um, a little bit of his, like, victims' backstories. So, Michelle Knight was 21 years old, and she disappeared on July or sorry, on August 23rd, 2004, after leaving a cousin's house. So she was, sorry, she was scheduled to go to court the next day over custody of her son, Joey, who was in, who was in the custody of the state. Following Knight's rescue, police acknowledged that limited resources have been spent on investigating her disappearance in part because she was an adult. Basically, they believed that she just ran away. Another victim is a man was Amanda Marie Berry. She disappeared on 
April 21st, 2003, the day before her 17th birthday. She was last heard from around um, 8 p.m. when she called her sister to tell her that she was getting a ride from her job at Burger King. And um, then the FBI initially and like considered her a runaway until a week after her disappearance when an unnamed male used her phone call to call her mother. Sorry, he used her cell phone to call her mother. He said, quote, I have Amanda. She's fine, and she will be coming home in a couple of days. Um, she actually appeared in a 2004 segment of Fox's America's Most Wanted, which linked her to Gina De... 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 I think it's De Jesus or De Jesus. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, actually who was at this point also gone missing in Cleveland. They were both profiled on The Oprah Winfrey Show and The Montel Williams Show, where a self-proclaimed psychic, Sylvia Brown, told Barry's mother in 2004 that her daughter was dead and that she was, quote, in water. The proclamation devastated her mother, causing her to take down pictures and give away Barry's computer. However, Miller continued. Sorry. Uh, however, her mother continued to look for her um, uh, before dying from liver heart failure in early March 2006. Later on that year, uh, December 25th, 2006, Barry had given birth to a daughter, and any evidence confirmed that it was Castro who was the father of the child. Robert. Sorry. Um, Robert Wolford was a prison inmate who had lived in Tremon, and he claimed on July 20, 2012, that he had information on the location of Barry's body, which ended up being a false alarm. So, Georgina G Gina Lynn de Jesus went missing at age 14. She was last seen at a pain phone around 3 p.m. on April 2nd, 2004. I would like to say that at this point, I was, like, alive. Like, I was a child when this happened. Of course, I, um, of course, I don't remember this case very much. I remember it. I remember it vaguely only because, like, I've, I've seen movies about this. I've seen, like, people talking about the Ariel Castro case. I believe that there's a Morbid episode on it, but I'm not sure. So, yeah, so, uh, Gina, I'm just gonna call her Gina. Um, at the time, she was actually friends with Ariel Castro's daughter, Arlene Castro. Shortly before Gina disappeared, she and Arlene had called Arlene's mother for permission to have a sleepover at Gina's house. But her mother replied that they could not, and the two girls parted ways. And Arlene was the last person to see Gina before her disappearance. Um, Gina was under the impression that Castro was picking her up to drop her at home, and she trusted Castro because she was friends with his teenage daughter. Nobody witnessed her abduction, and an ambulance was not issued, which angered her father. He said in 2006, the Amber Alert should work for any missing child. Whether it's an abduction or a runaway, a child needs to be found. We need to change this law. So, um, he was 
uh, Gina was also featured in America's Most Wanted, and that linked her to Barry. Barry as well. They held very public vigils, and Castro actually attended two of these vigils. And I've actually, so I'm I'm taking a um, I'm taking a forensics class, and shout out to my forensics teacher whose name I'm not saying, but I know other teachers listen to this, so you know who I'm talking about, who taught us that sometimes the um, the perpetrator will actually come back and, like, see if the police have actually, like, done anything or, like, what they're doing to the scene and stuff like that, only because they want to, like, admire their their work. Like, there, there was even a, a... There's a serial arsonist firefighter, which... Y'all, I will do an episode on arson later. It's just kind of been sitting in my drafts. It's been like, um, okay, should be told I'm filming this on a Friday night and it's going to come out kind of or later on Saturday, maybe, or at least the Instagram post will be, um, apologies, but I had a late night working. Um, and so I was... Like, one of the first things I thought of was, like, oh, my gosh, I should do an episode about arson. Because, like, there's a lot of firefighters. Um, I believe that there's, um, there's one, there was one I heard from, from Wine and Crime. That, like, he was usually, like, the first. Sorry. He was usually the first on scene. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, Castro's attended at least two of these vigils. Um, um, so, according to Castro's uncle, his family knew that the De Jesus, or De Jesus family, sorry, I still don't know how to pronounce it, had also lived, had lived in the same West Cleveland neighborhood. Castro eventually claimed that he was not aware that De, De Jesus was a member of the family when he kidnapped her. So he had these two he he had these girls who like he was sorry he was he he was charged with four counts of kidnapping and three counts of rape. Um, he pled guilty to 937 criminal counts of rape, kidnapping, and aggravated murder as part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to life plus a thousand years in prison without the possibility of parole. And on September 2nd, 2013, one month into his sentence, Castro died by suicide. So, um, a lot of the captivities were, um, trigger warning, like, a lot of, a a lot of rape and, like, sexual assault, um, and he would basically treat the girls like animals. He would starve them, he would impregnate them, um, and he also killed multiple animals, and you saw a lot of violence against the girls. Um, sorry, It's, um, so Castro's actually referred to himself as, quote, cold-blooded and a sex addict. Um, 
so there was one time where um Castro's son like talked to him about what was going on and Anthony said that he told Castro that Barry was likely dead to which Castro responded quote really you think so like that's just terrifying now at this point you're probably wondering did they ever like escape yes they did escape on May 6, 2013, Barrio was finally able to get in contact with Castro's neighbors, leading her to escape with her six-year-old daughter and rescue, and the rescue of Jesus and Knight by authorities. Um, she basically saw that the, this big inside door was unlocked, and she attempted to break through it because she thought that Castro was just, like, testing her, and apparently he, they had, he had done that before. And they succeeded, like, um, and she went to a house of a neighbor and she said, quote, she called 911 and saying, quote, help me. I've been kidnapped and I've been missing for 10 years and I'm here. I'm free now. And, um, a lot of them, a lot of them were really, really, really happy. All of them were obviously really happy to be home they were able to go to the doctor's office and they were all able to like physically recover from this although um though mentally most likely not and there's also another missing woman um ashley summers who disappeared in 2007 um And, yeah, she has still not been, she's actually still not been found. So, in uh, 2013, the girls actually talked to their attorney and said that the women still have a strong desire for privacy and do not wish to speak to the media about their ordeal, um, which makes, which makes sense. Obviously, this was, like, a very, it's obviously a very traumatic event for them, so, of course, we have to respect, respect them, but this was a truly, truly, truly horrific event, and there's a Law and Order SV episode about it that I would like to talk to you guys about next. So, today, we're going to be living about, sorry, today, we're going to be talking about the Law and Order SVU episode, Imprisoned Lives, which is season 15, episode 2. So, spoiler alert. So, here is the plot. Well, here's a summary. A young boy is abandoned in Times Square and leads the detectives to a house where his family lives. Inside, they find a locked basement where more victims await inside, await a rescue, and work to solve decades-old cold cases plot. A young boy named Buddy and his father walked through Times Square and the father was forced to leave him behind after a police officer spotted them. Nick and Benson have Buddy direct them to the house. One of the neighbors reveals that the man is Tony Minetti, the son of the owner. After busting through the house, the detectives go to a basement where they find cages of women who are being held captive. 
After rescuing the women, they proceed to question other residents if they have seen anything out of the ordinary at the house. The neighbors revealed that they never thought that Tony's behavior was odd. One of them even made suspicions, suspensions, suspect. <laughs> Sorry. Um, one of them even speculates about Buddy and that he may have been the son with the cat, the captive. Betty, sorry, Buddy, sorry, y'all, I'm kind of tired. Buddy identifies some of the hostages as members of his family. The detectives proceed to track down Tony Minetti, but he reveals that he was estranged from his mother for decades due to his sexuality. The detectives realize that that he, someone has been masquerading as him for years. Much later, one of the interviews of the parents of another captive, captive who were revealed here that, that, that the daughter was alive. Um, shortly after, Finn reports that one of the girls has been found and is on the news. The name of the girl is Kayla. She, re- revealed, she proceeds to reveal how she was kidnapped and that she is the biological mother of Buddy. At the hospital, Kayla is reunited with her parents and she reveals how she was snatched up and tortured over the past few years. Soon, Nick and Tutuola are called in about a case, case with Ma, who was murdered by Pa, who was, sorry, Ma, who was abandoned by Pa. When Benson interrogates her, she nearly causes Ma to break down for her actions, and Cragen has to rescue her. Benson speaks with Kayla, and her talk inspires her to go to Ma again. Ma does not give the real name of Pa, but does give her name, April Hendricks, who has a troubled youth. Further research reveals April was helped by her janitor Michael Williams. Williams was hinted to not to not to be involved in the disappearance of April, but was not suspected. They tracked Michael to his new job as the maintenance worker at another school. The, the detectives tracked down Michael at his official residence, where Michael's wife tells him that he was spending time with his other sons and that he's he's arrested. Um, at the precinct, Michael defends his actions of raping the girls and stating he did not kill Angel, who was unaware of his activities. He soon reveals that he is indeed the father of Buddy and kidnapped the other women in misguided belief of saving them. The detectives ask to not prosecute Hendricks because she is clearly suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Sorry. Barbara understands and says she suffered enough. However, Barbara says Barbara says Williams has not suffered enough and vows to ensure that he does not see the light of day ever again. Um, Kayla and Buddy are returned to the house of Kayla's parents. Kayla reveals that she just wants her son to have a new life and wishes that he can be normal, to which Benson wishes her luck. So I can see the um so I can see the similarities between this um the Ariel Castro kidnappings, but I can also see some different some similarities um between um the 2015 movie Room with Brie Larson. So you have like you have a child coming out of this kidnapping situation. And you have a woman who's gone through a lot. And that's sort of how it connects to each other. I know that I've watched this episode before. 
but I do not fully remember the full case, like the visual depiction of it, but yeah. So now I'm going to be talking about like other depictions um, of the media, including books and films that have depicted this case. In 2014, Charles Ramsey um, published a book called Dead Giveaway, The Rescue, Hamburgers, White Folks, and Instant Celebrity. What you saw on TV doesn't begin to tell the story. Cleveland, Gray, and Company. Um, then Michelle Knight actually um, wrote a book about in 2014 called Finding Me, A Decade of Darkness, A Life Reclaimed. A memoir of the kin- of the Cleveland kidnappings, um, and she also did um, another book uh, in 2018, "Life After Darkness: Finding Healing and Happiness After the Cleveland Kidnappings." John Glatt published a book in 2015 called "The Lost Girls: The True Story of the Cleveland Abductions and the Incredible Rescue of Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina." De Jesus. Um, and then Amanda Barry and Gina De Jesus actually did write a book together in 2015 called Hope, a Memoir of Survival in Cleveland. There was also um, a life, t- of course, there, I feel like every single like very high profile case that I cover, there kind of has to be like a lifetime movie connected to it i don't know why but like television loves depicting this especially in like really big like lifetime movies ways and and stuff like that so it's called um cleveland abduction it came out in 2015 and that is all, folks. Thank you so much for everybody for listening to this episode. I know it was kind of a roller coaster. I kind of went from talking about how I'm going to respect Gabby Petito's family's privacy and not really, like, fully talk about her case. Then I went from talking about Lauren Order SVU, which if you were, like, if you noticed that I did record this in two parts, you will know that I already saw the episode, but I'm going to talk about it more next week. Um... But I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and if you would like to follow for more, you can follow me at whenIopen.podcast on Instagram, where you can also find my merch. Um, Right now, I unfortunately only have the, um, sorry, I'm trying to send myself something. Unfortunately, I only have the buttons the 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 swaggy like sleep buttons but um yeah i'm gonna wait till i get sold out of those to buy more stickers because i just got a job and i need to save up a little bit more money but i swear they're coming they're 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 gonna they're gonna come again folks but um again if you would like a swaggy like sleep sticker sorry pin um button they are a little bit small, but they're, like, like compact, like, kind of, like, on-the-ghost buttons, I guess. They're, they're really cute. 
I personally love them. They're adorable. I have one in my backpack. I have one in my school backpack. Um, so, you can also follow me at my very, very, very weird Twitter. Um, <laughs> when I open pod, you can follow me on TikTok. Sorry. Um, Twitter is when I open. Um, my gosh, I don't remember my Twitter. Uh, Twitter is when I open dot pod, and TikTok is when I open pod, one word. Um, and if you have any questions about merchandise, about the show, if you have any, like, I don't know, case suggestions, um, you can email me, and that will be in, like, my con- in my sources, um, sorry, that will be in my, uh, in my sources, which will be into the, well, that will be in the description of this episode. You can also, if you, if if all of you could please give me a good review on Apple Podcast, that really helps a lot. But thank you all so much for listening, and remember to sleep with one eye open.